Welcome everyone. Alhamdulillah, we're very happy and honored tonight to have uh, Zainab as our guest, Zainab Abdul Ghani. Um, this is an idea, as I mentioned last week, that I've been having for a little while that every so often it would be nice to break from our Sunday programming to have a conversation with a community member. Um, about various things and Zainab is someone who alhamdulillah we have a little bit of history with so we were having a conversation I don't know a couple weeks ago I don't know how long that was now maybe a month ago and you know this idea came up so we said let's try it so let's do that um, many things could be said about Zainab but she is an Abdul Ghani that's first and uh, she, you know, grew up here in, in Orange County, Irvine area, and then went to UC Berkeley. She also did uh, a master's in divinity at Harvard, and she worked as a community organizer for, is it the Greater Boston Interfaith thing? Yeah. And then uh, has returned, alhamdulillah, back home to the promised land of Southern California, her and her husband, Ramsey, and their beautiful baby, Yahya, right? Yes. Alhamdulillah. Um, so, when uh, I was saying earlier that when we were here and Zainab walked in and I told her, did you have a chance to look at the questions that I sent you? And she was like, you sent me questions? <laughs> and then I told her that I didn't. <laughs> so, so there's no preparation in this conversation. I shouldn't say it that way. There's been lots of thought that's gone into this conversation, but I haven't given her any chance to prepare for it. So... Uh, She's, she's placed a lot of trust in this conversation right now. Hopefully it won't get broken. Um, <clears throat> so what I, what I would like to do, now I'll give you the idea, is I want to walk through the various stages of your life that brought you here. Okay. So we can talk a little bit maybe about your upbringing, some of your formative experiences in the community. With, so we want to explore two major themes. Okay. First major theme is your relationship with the religion itself. Second major theme is your relationship with the community, whatever that means. And it's a very nebulous conceptualization. So maybe like a little bit of that in your formative years growing up. Okay. And then in MSA. Okay. And then in Boston. We have to spend some time in Boston. Okay. Because Sheikh Yasser was there, Fahmi. And then, uh, and then, you know, dig around over there. And then hopefully that will come and um, speak to some of what you're doing now. Which I forgot your title because, it, mashallah, it's very long. It's long. Uh, it's a senior manager of senior programs manager and of programs and community organizing at Care Greater Los Angeles. Oh, Ramzi's here, mashallah. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, so, so yeah, let's start with your younger years, some of your reflections around your understanding of religion, your experiences with community, so on and so forth. What things do you think really helped you, maybe yeah. stuff like that? Okay. And then we'll see where it goes from there. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Oh, assalamualaikum. <laughs> See my neighbor, Tantu is dead. Um, how's everybody doing? Assalamualaikum. Uh, it's uh, good to be home in, in Irvine. Uh, this is home. I, I was born in, in Patterson, New Jersey. I moved to Irvine when I was four years old, so I spent the vast majority of my time in this little suburban paradise here that you are all situated in. Um, I think... When I think about formative experiences growing up, um, one, well, 
All right, where to start this one now? Um, Do you want to buy some time? Do you want to ask? No, 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 no. I mean, I no, no. I, I'm gonna we're gonna stumble through this, inshallah. But I think uh, so. Grew up in a pretty practicing household, alhamdulillah. Um, my dad, uh, my mom was someone who was uh, grew up in Sharia, uh, in the, the Nile Delta region of Egypt, um, and had just really strong set of social values, like this idea in Egyptian culture of usul was like very big for her, like you have to be a person of usul, mm -hmm. and that meant, meant certain kinds of give and take and reciprocity inside of our lives and neighborliness. And my mom is the person who organizes the picnics. Um, she she really is, yeah, she, she's kind of a linchpin of, of the community in her own right um, in terms of being kind of socially weaving a bunch of kids together when we were young, Muslim kids together when we were young, making sure that we had a strong uh, Muslim community around us socially. And then my dad was somebody who, um, he grew up in Cairo. Um, he came to, uh, he followed his family to New Jersey uh, and sort of rebuilt his life here. Uh, and he's somebody who was always sort of in and out of the masjid growing up. Um, was teaching Quran um, when we were young. And we, all, we, we constantly saw that example of Baba sort of in the masjid, Baba teaching things. And he, he was very also intent on you know, our bedtime stories were the prophet stories, um, and those were important. And we were really, uh, I was really into them. I don't know how much my siblings were, I was really into them. They were our superheroes growing up. Um, and so that was my parents and the foundation that they gave me. And I think that serious reflection about Islam started as it, like with many young people as a teenager, right? Um, you start to mature, you start to get your own friend group. Um, and uh, maybe rebel a little bit. And I was quite the nerd in high school. Um, and I was, I liked class. I liked my teacher. I spent a lot more time with my teachers than my peers. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the peers that I chose at school were people who were concerned about the world. Um, they were, um, yeah, in the ways that you can be in a in the suburban setting that we were that we lived in, which was like you know they were part of the ACLU club, they were part of the human rights club, like they were people who studied and had him and all of those good things. Alhamdulillah, There's, and being a nerd is a protection as a teenager. Absolutely. I really believe Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I just and I remember that experience, and I remember starting to go to youth group at the masjid at the same time as a teenager. And it was fun, it was fine. Um, but I, uh, I remember the impression, I remember having the impression of just like, I feel like I'm not concerned about the same things as the kids in this youth group. Um, because I remember a lot of conversation about prom, I remember a lot of conversation about nail polish, I remember a lot of conversation about Halloween, and, I, and a lot of do's and don'ts, and I didn't, it's not that I didn't, um, alhamdulillah, my mom convinced us that we were too cool for all of those things anyways. So, like, I think, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. She, she's psychologically very cunning. Um, but uh, I think, I think 
yeah, my mom had convinced us we were all too cool for those things. So I had kind of bigger, more worldly concerns as a 16-year-old. And I was looking around at my peers and I was wondering, you know, where are the other kids who want to uh, make a difference, um, who are Muslim? And what about the prophet stories, right? Like who's, who's trying to live out those stories? Um, so I, I didn't find a lot of inspiration, frankly, and I don't mean to be denigrating it, in the, in the folks that were around me at my age at that time. Um, but I did, I did see inspiration sort of in an older generation of folks. Uh, UCI's MSU was sort of right around the corner. Uh, and they were a little bit legendary, like um, they were uh, a little legendary. Um, so they were, this was, this was really directly post 9-11. And um, I remember sort of the older kids in our community, college students in our community, um, you had people like, I'm just going to name Elaith al-Jazar, who was like, so he's the son of my Arabic and Quran teacher, Tanta Razwa. And um, uh, he would like check our Quran. He would basically give us a pass every time for our very bad hifth um, <laughs> and tell Tanta Razwa we did great, even though we did terribly. Uh, but Elaith was a college student at that time. And, and I remember him telling us stories and hearing these whispers of like being being detained and interrogated for like going and studying abroad. Um, there was uh, a lot of stories about um, surveillance. This was around the time of Craig mm -hmm. uh, And so um, kids in our community who were like going to get discount gym membership with this new convert in our community were suddenly being approached with uh, like, um, were, were ultimately being entrapped, right? Or, at, there were attempts at entrapping them. They were too smart for them, inshallah. Um, and uh, there's there's one um, there's one person whose family member is here tonight. Uh, I, I think I heard a story of him running on the treadmill next to this guy, and they start talking about politics. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, there's this. Uh, isn't everything that's happening in the war on terror so messed up? We should really do something about it." He, being an 18-year-old kid, was like, yeah, what do you think we should do? Protest? Uh, 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 what's it called? Boycott. Petition? Boycott? Right. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm thinking more of a bomb plot. Um, and of course, he goes and reports this. Um, and uh, this, is, this is one of many sort of reports of shady behavior from that individual. Um, that affected really kind of my older brother's generation and older um, folks who were kind of, yeah, the, the folks who were a little bit older than me at that time. But I remember observing them and observing the reactions that they had and the sense of like, they had this pride in their Muslim identity. Um, they were negotiating worker contracts on campus. Mm -hmm. um, they had, they were doing stuff with uh, the Latino community on campus and people who were part of other communities were starting to read the Quran because of how inspired they were by this group of young people. Um, and that left an impression on me, um, a big impression on me. Uh, so I remember that. Um, I remember being inspired by the by these high school students who were in all the human rights clubs on campus, but who were like self-acclaimed agnostics and atheists. Um, and I, yeah, I think I think being a teenager, I, 
I really grappled with, if it weren't for the example of those older people, I, I would have struggled a lot and really wondered, you know, does our religion have a vision of social change? Like, do we, are we about that? <laughs> Um, because it, it would have been otherwise, I, I wouldn't have had that example mm. if it weren't for the kids at UCI. Mm. Um, so, alhamdulillah, I owe a lot to them, and I think about them a lot, and I make doc for them a lot. Um, even even though a lot of the stuff, sort of looking back, they would they would say, yeah, that nah, we were a little bit extreme. We we're kind of extreme. We we're a little misguided, but um, but but no, they 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 showed me a, a vision of pride in Islam that that really stuck with me um, to to till college. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Is that what you were looking for? That's great. Okay. So, all right, so one of, the, one of the reasons why I think these kind of things are important is because this conversation is because, uh, you know, a lot of times we sit up here and we teach, and that gives you, like, one idea of what it means to be part of the community and engaged and so on and so forth. But when other people come, you get to see different models of what that can look like. And that's tied into what she said. So the particularly about the point of uh, when you looked up and you saw this generation of young people right above you, and there was a model in that. Yeah. And I think that one of the one of the most important things actually in a community is this layered this layering of generations in a sense. So it's not just like okay, there's the imam and the imam is coming up with all of this programming or whatever. That's actually probably not as important as having layers of generations of people who are committed and they're spending time with each other or at least they're engaging with each other at some level maybe they're related so they hear stories maybe they were neighbors whatever it might be but there's some sort of connection between these people because like for example when when i was in college and we were in san diego one of the big things that you would see with like the younger kids is that they want to hang out with the msa people right the college msa people the high school people so you said this connection there. Whereas like, so then this person who's in college can tell the person in high school something that the older person can't. It might even be the same thing. But it's just, there's a relationship there that allows, there's a proximity there that makes that possible, right? That wouldn't be possible otherwise. So that's, uh, and of course, as you mentioned, that had a big impact on things that came afterwards. So, uh, so all of this is somewhat new for me because I meet you after Berkeley, I think, right? Yeah. After Berkeley, before, or we meet you after Berkeley, before uh, Harvard. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Berkeley. There was a rumor that was said to me that you were the first female MSA president at Berkeley. Is that true? Allegedly. And allegedly, <laughs> there's no there's no data on this. <laughs> but um, maybe if you could share some of your Berkeley experiences with us, and then we'll okay. transition to post Berkeley and then to Harvard. Um, Berkeley. Um, I don't know. Asnavi? Where's Asnavi? Asnavi went to Berkeley with me. He's here. Okay. Feel free to add anything I miss. Um, so, what was Berkeley like? Um, I think, well, first I, I decided to go to Berkeley because I needed to leave this bubble. <laughs> and my parents were Fair really enough. supportive of that, alhamdulillah. Uh, and I needed to kind of see something different, see a community that was different. Um, and I remember in my college visit, walking onto Sproul Plaza, there's just like visible homelessness everywhere. Um, there's people, there's a bunch of students that have their causes. On, so Sproul Plaza is sort of like this main hub of activity. 
and there's a bunch of people uh, with tables and all these folks who are part of organizations that have causes and they come up to you while you're walking down Sproul Plaza to like uh, evangelize you around their cause, right? Mm -hmm. uh, their political cause. And um, it was, uh, yeah, it, the visit I just, there was the sense of healthy discomfort like, um, yeah, there are things mm. I need to see and experience here that I haven't, mm. um, that I needed in order to grow. And alhamdulillah, like we had the means to be able to do so. And uh, I, I went to Berkeley. I ended up being really active with the Muslim Student Association um, in the example of my predecessors. Um, I became known as that girl who was always talking about what the MSU UCI does. Mm. Um, what and years were you at Berkeley? I was there from 2008 through 2012. Um, my second year, so there was like an academic sort of formation at Berkeley, and then there was a, that, that impacted my spirituality in interesting ways. And then there's like the community and spiritual formation at Berkeley. And I think um, Berkeley was. The most important thing that I did while I was at Berkeley was I became the sister social director for the MSA. And in our MSA constitution, literally it is written in our MSA constitution, the job of the sister social director is to be every sister's best friend <laughs> in the MSA. And um, so I was like on a mission chasing any woman that was visibly Muslim that I could find on campus, getting her number, making small talk, um, and trying to fulfill the constitutional duty of the sister social director. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and subhanAllah, when you become friends with people, um, you get to uh, carry a bunch of their problems. And I remember getting called to resolve things. I was very underqualified to solve. <laughs> Yeah. Everything from like, I remember the second month as a sister social director, I get called up for a gin problem. Mm -hmm. uh, like the fourth month, there's like issues of domestic abuse that folks are dealing with that somehow I'm now, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, you wanted to be their friend. I know, I wanted to be their best friend. I'm trying to deal with as a 20 year old, right? Uh, 19 or 20 year old uh, in college. And um, it's a, yeah, there's a, it felt like a huge trust. Um, and it, the sisters and brother social director position were known as uh, the most demanding positions and the ones that would, would uh, land you in therapy at the end of the year <laughs> for the things that you were trying to do and carry in the community. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, honestly, I, don't, I think it was like a very especially blessed time of, of my life. Like, a play, a time of just so many fatuhat and opening, openings in my relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, mm. uh, and yeah, seeing Him through people, um, and okay. and seeing Him by trying to fulfill some idea of a khuwa that we had, um, as yeah, that that, that we had, and some ideal of a khuwa of, of true brotherhood sisterhood. Um, the, the community at Berkeley was much more diverse than the community that I had grown up in, religiously, ethnically, racially, socioeconomically. Uh, and that also really opened my eyes to the diverse realities of our community beyond sort of just what I had experienced as 
mostly middle class uh, immigrant Arab woman or young woman um, among others very very much like me. Um, it yeah it, it opened up my eyes to what Muslim concerns are um, and they were student debt. They were people who were dealing with um, really serious problems uh, from yeah from from domestic violence to um, to their families being impacted by mass incarceration to um, uh, not be, being fearful of deportation right like those were the, mm -hmm. the kinds of realities that I was exposed to that I had never been exposed to before um, and uh, they came through relationships of sisterhood with other people in our MSA and um, that was my that was important for me um, I think the other thing that was important during this time was I got introduced to um, sort of an academic way of thinking about the world. Um, so Berkeley is kind of the home and original place of ethnic studies, right? Your third world studies major, right, yeah. Jamal? Yeah. Okay, I'm curious to know what that was like and how that how that shaped you. But um, for me, I think uh, there was this ethnic studies. <coughs> department and I was taking a lot of classes. I do international development, but a lot of it is, well, it's, it's third world studies ultimately. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that shaped the way that I looked at the world. It gave me a language for certain experiences of racism growing up, right? Uh, I remember taking this class on Orientalism and I was like, oh, that's the word, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That's the word for all of the white ladies in our interfaith spaces who are like, why do you put that on your head? And did your parents force you to wear it? And I was like, oh, there's a word for this. It's called Orientalism. Okay, cool. Um, and it was very empowering to have a vocabulary um, to describe certain experiences of injustice, both as a Muslim woman, um, whose identity is like racialized in the world, right? But then also as a woman, uh, so there was, I remember taking the sort of transnational feminism class and learning about this thing called patriarchy and that was also a whole, whole experience. Um, and yeah, and then on top of that, I was in these sort of spaces of solidarity with other communities of color. And it's the same stuff today, right? I, I mean, like it's the same discourse today. Uh, where a lot of identity politics, um, a lot of a lot of conversations about uh, privilege, a lot of sort of going into that space with Muslim as more of a racial and ethnic identity than it was a spiritual identity. Um, so that was a weird. That was sort of the beginning of a tension I was feeling between like the Muslim I was and sort of MSA spaces where there was like a whole, Muslim meant something very holistic. And then in these social mm -hmm. justice spaces that I cared about very deeply and mm -hmm. believed were part of my mission, but there was a little bit of a flattening of, of like what Islam is, um, while, while at the same time being very, uh, helping me form a vocabulary about injustice in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, I felt, I mean, you go in, uh, people ask you to do your gender pronouns, 
like, I don't know, uh, what are we doing here? Back um, then, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we were, we started it. You guys started it. Because <laughs> we didn't have it. Oh, you didn't have that? No, Berkeley, well, this is, this is UC We were 2005, I finished, so. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, this, this is the home of where a lot of that begins. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, even back then, they're asking us for our gender pronouns. Um, there are a lot of confusing things that kept Muslims away, but we tried. You know, we tried to be in that space. We tried to be ourselves. We tried to be fully Muslim, but also it was hard, and there were challenges. And I think that that foreshadows sort of more of that yeah. as I grew into sort of this activist space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like all this is really working up to oh. the next period. Yes. What do you think? Yeah. Do you um, want? Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add on this? Yeah. This is good. Okay. Okay, so let's see. Let me see it real quick. Yes. So I'm like using it like a. <laughs> All right, so so this then you're there until 2012. Mm -hmm. 2012, you graduate, you come back to Orange County. Yes. We always come back. And that must have been like exactly when I started actually. Yes. June 2012. Is when I started at ICOI. For my stint that everyone seems to think was way longer than it actually was. I was only there for two and a half years, if you guys can believe that. And I left there seven years ago now. And like, anyone of you remember that? Like, it's, I actually left ICOI December 2014. Right? It was the end of 2014, seven years ago now. My math, yeah, we're 2021, right? Yeah. I was only there for two and a half years, but alhamdulillah, it was a good time. And Zainab has just come back. Mm -hmm. And I remember some sort of like gatherings in our living room. Yes. Uh, with Muslima and trying to like figure out some sort of care thing. Actually, you were with care then too. Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. So, and how long were you back before you went to Boston? Three years. Three years. Okay. So just so you guys know, the Boston piece is really important to me. Number one, because of Ramsey. <laughs> and number two, because the imam in Boston was a, not what he was the imam, and he is a close friend of ours, Sheikh Yasser Fahmi. So, um, like when when Zainab when we found out that she was going to Boston, we were happy because we were like, Alhamdulillah, he's there, and uh, this is a good thing. So let's let's go through this period, and see what you have. Which period? So I can just skip right to. Do you want me to skip to? So whatever you think is uh, okay. relevant. You don't have to like. You okay. Know. I came back. I worked at Care. Um, I tried to do some things that I, I worked really closely actually with Sheikh Jamal and Sheikh Muslima to put together the Muslim Game Changers Network. Um, there are a couple of alumni in the room actually. Omeda's here. Omeda was a Muslim Game Changer. Um, did you do it too or no? Manish. Um, so we um, uh, we put together this four-month social justice curriculum. I remember asking you guys questions like, "Okay, how do we talk about this in Islam? Can you tell me some stories from the Sierra about like wealth and privilege and this?" And, and we're that. super fresh too, right? Like yeah. we just came back. Yeah. yeah. No, no. And it was and it was great. Alhamdulillah. And I I think. MGN was a first attempt to sort of articulate, my, my first attempt to articulate, to bring together my worlds at Berkeley, right? There was this critical lens of sort of ethnic studies that I, that I got at Berkeley that gave me a way of 
analyzing injustice, but it was missing some things and it misled in some ways. And I wanted to remedy that and also make sure that there was grounding from our theater, right? Um, and, and so that was the focus of our gatherings as I was putting together this four month curriculum. Um, and it was good to work at CARE. I loved working with the high school students that I worked with. Um, but also I was starting to, I, so I remember going to a summer camp that involved a lot of kids that had been through my MGN program. Mm. And I remember hanging out with them and I was just like, I spent four months with you. What did you learn? Like, <laughs> not, 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 uh, it, there was, there was just, there was a lot of disrespect towards the elders in the room. There was a lot of just like, uh, materialism, like a culture of narcissism, just, and, and I, and I was just, just, I felt like you can't just take, mm. you can't just take an anti-racism workshop and sprinkle some stories from the theater on it and like expect a different result, mm. you know? Um, and I think it was that summer camp, I, I literally cried, unfortunately I cried at that summer camp, and crying I was, is okay. Crying, huh? Crying is okay. Yeah, yeah. I did cry at that summer camp, and I just thought, am I really creating game changers? People, am I really cultivating reflective agents of change in the world? Or, I think it felt like what they had really gained from me was like uh, a clever way of describing the world. Like some they could make, yeah, some vocabulary. Like they could make they could make some clever jokes about how reverse racism doesn't exist. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're so smart, inshallah. Like, but, but there wasn't um, reflection. Mm. There wasn't uh, character. And um, mm. I, I think that was the point at which I was like, I need to go get more serious about studying the tradition. Mm. And um, because I don't, all of this is worthless if, like, I just have, like, clever people come out of this program who have a new vocabulary, but who don't, who haven't transformed themselves enough to transform anything around them. Mm. So mm. I think that was uh, a little bit of a reckoning for me. Mm. Um, not to discard what was done. It was, yeah, not to discard what was done. It had, it had some good impacts here and there, but... Um, mm. That's yeah. Yeah. I think, and there was two. There was two perspectives from which it was ineffectual. Like one is like the moral formation of, of young people, but then the second was impact. Like, mm. um, and yeah, it just felt like we were all sitting in a room, like generating a shared vocabulary with each other, with which we could only speak to each other. And um, mm. did wow, we? Wow, what a statement! Can you say that sentence? Okay, <laughs> it was felt like we were all in a room together, trying to cultivate a vocabulary of social justice with each other that we could only speak to each other. Yeah. Um, and I mm. think, um, yeah, I, I, it was around that time that actually Maria invited me to come see an action that was hosted by One LA. Do you guys were you guys there? It was a big assembly. I don't think so. Okay, maybe not. So Maria at that time was doing, Maria Bonji, our, our good friend, was doing a fellowship with 1LA. 
and I was invited to go to Los Angeles as a guest to this public action that was happening. And I walk into this room and there's like 3,000 people from across Los Angeles. It's the most diverse room of people I've ever seen from across LA. It's black and brown and white. It's Muslim and Christian and Jewish and just people conscious. Um, mostly religious congregations, some schools, some unions. And they start the whole thing. And it's so all these people at the very front, there are the four LA mayoral candidates at the time. And I, um, I remember they started the whole thing with the ritual we call roll call. And what that means is every organization that's present in the room stands up. Their, all of their numbers stand up and they announce the number of people they had planned to bring and how many people they actually turned out to the event. And so it's like East LA High School, like we had a goal of 340 people to bring 340 people and we brought 412. And then their school band busts out with trumpet fanfare, okay? And this is, they go through like a good 50 organizations in the room. Mm. So this isn't like some Twitter event that went viral. Mm -hmm. um, this was like premeditated, yeah. this is organized. This is organizing. Um, this is organizing, yes. Not viral stuff. Yeah. And and then they're like, SoCal Muslims. <laughs> we plan to have two people here, and we brought out two. <laughs> All of the communities of Muslims in Southern California. This is going to come back later. Yeah, no, we were We were, were going to come back to this. Um, so, alhamdulillah. Um, so... So after they did roll call, you could already see the politicians up front are shaking in their boots, right? And um, and then they have uh, a bunch of ordinary people go up to the front and they tell their stories of struggling with access to public transportation, the quality of schools. Um, you know, uh, I think it, I think jobs was another one of the issues, and housing was the fourth. And they they had ordinary people go up tell their stories about their struggle their struggles within these within these issue areas and then they ask a very specific question uh, of the four politicians on stage they say if you are elected mayor of Los Angeles you know will you put x amount of money into creating y number of new bus lines um, and they have to answer with yes or no and they get one minute of open comments and they got yeses on all four of their issues and and then there's a pastor who stands up and who talks about Musa Ali Sina. And I'm like, yes, my bedtime stories. Mm. Um, and she talks about our exodus to a new kind of city. Mm. And I remember this feeling of, ah, like it, it, it just feels good to hear our prophet stories as something transformative in the world. And our faith as something transformative in the world and not just something I want people to tolerate and accommodate. And so I caught the organizing bug in that room. And I um, enrolled in the same fellowship that Maria did the next year while I was at CARE. And CARE invested in having me do that program and get that training. Um, and eventually, I think the other factor that went into my decision to go to grad school was I wanted to make a pivot kind of full-time into this world of organizing. Um, I had learned a lot about education, about youth development, about putting together curriculum, but I wanted to, to expand my impact to try something different. Um, and community organizing felt like 
the space that I, I wanted to be in. Um, so uh, for those two reasons, I ended up going to the Harvard Divinity School um, in part so that I could work with Marshall Gans, who is the professor of organizing at the Kennedy School. He's a sort of national, international community organizing teacher. And he does like, uh, he came out of the United Farm Workers Movement, he came out of the Civil Rights Movement, um, has a framework, he is sort of the architect behind um, the Obama campaign, the architect behind the Dreamers campaign. Uh, and wanted to study under him, alhamdulillah, I got the chance to do that um, in addition to whatever Islamic studies I was going to do at, at Harvard as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <coughs> all right. This is all the warm-up. I'm setting this and we're just warming it up. So, so you're coming out of Irvine. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is like, Irvine was probably much less developed then. So even when I came to Irvine, there was no Stonegate. Was Stonegate? There was no Cypress Village. There was no East Thing, whatever that East Thing is. There was no Orchard Hills. Not, when I came to Irvine, 2012, none of that stuff was here. So it was a completely different world. And you want to get out of the bubble and go to Berkeley see all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to Berkeley as an undergrad, and I remember thinking to myself, this is the kind of place where you carry a knife. <laughs> that was actually the first thought that went through my head when I walked around Berkeley. <laughs> it's a really bad thing to think. But anyways, uh, so you go to Berkeley, you get all this experience, these things, you come here, working on the ground, and you see this one LA thing. Mm -hmm. if I can, is it okay if I... Yeah. If you tell me if you agree with this recommendation, yeah. I think people should read the book Going Public. Yes. Geekin, is it? Mike Geekin. Mike mm -hmm. Geekin, Going Public. It's very short. It's very easy. Um, you get some really good concepts. This this story that Zainab shared about the or groups coming together and the way they did it and everything will make more sense. No, I shouldn't say it that way. You'll understand it better when, if you read the book. Um, so you do all those things, and you go to Harvard Divinity School. Now, I know in retrospect, Sheikh Yasser's opinion of Harvard Divinity School. So tell us what you found there. Obviously, yeah. you, you got the community organizing stuff that you Maybe at least some of what you were looking for. Yeah. Um, of course, there's an Islam side to it as well. Um, and then there's experience in the community there and then working into your yeah. actual job as an organizer okay so i'm looking at zawar because zawar went with me yeah, to harvard there. divinity um so yes um i think that i went to harvard thinking like i need some like grand i need like an islamic liberation theology you know like i i need some like grand theological like thesis that brings together all these ideas um, and what I found at Harvard Divinity School was like a lot of spiritually confused people and um, I think that what Harvard Divinity School really exposed to me was just um, Yes. Uh, okay. So I'll say this. That had, I had my roommates, not my roommates. Um, I had people in my network who were kind of taking the classes that were offered 
on um, on feminism and Islam, and most of those were taught by um, folks who had kind of a revisionist idea of uh, the tradition, right? Um, and there was a lot of that in Harvard, both among the students, but then also the faculty. Um, but at the same time, um, there were classes that I got to take on with um, Sheikh Osman Khan, who comes sort of out of a Tijani lineage. Um, and he, got, he taught us with, um, he taught us, we basically got to read all of the Ahya Adum Adin in English, <laughs> which was awesome, alhamdulillah, uh, and do like weekly reflections on it. Um, we had a really awesome chaplain come, Sheikh Khalil, um, who, Abdul Rashid, uh, who studied in Turkey, who was really grounded. And I just, I saw that the spiritual experiences of people at Harvard Divinity depended, depending on sort of the coursework that they chose, the places, the circles they were a part of, the professors that they had, was either one of like, straying into a very revisionist um, idea of Islam and core tenets that have been sort of historically uh, accepted for centuries around LGBTQI stuff, uh, around hijab, around all kinds of things. Um, or people who were sort of like looking at all of that and holding very tight um, to the tradition and trying to create a path for themselves that um, where they could get some learning done um, within the tradition in a way that felt authentic and uh, in a way that was true to how we study. And um, alhamdulillah, in my second year, I think I did a field work. I did a field education placement with Imam Bilal Ansari, from, who was at that time at Zaytuna. It was the last time he was at Zaytuna. And he sat me down, and he explained Hadith Jibril to me, actually. Um, and he, I was, he was like, so what Islamic studies have you done? And I was like, uh, Sira? Like, to Sira? And he was like, you have named none of the three core sciences, Zainab. Like, um, and I was like, what three core sciences? Um, and he was like, well, let's go over Hadith Jibril. And this is where he basically explained to me that there's a blueprint for the study of Islam, right? Um, that there, that there's Islam, there's our fiqh, there's our aqidah, and there is tasawwuf uh, tasawwuf, right? And um, and there's the source sciences, and then there's the waqt, and how we place that within a context. And he was sort of the first person to introduce me to this, to look at my course list, and to say, though um, this is after. So this was after my first year, actually. So he, he took my course list, and he was like, you should take this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and you should not take the rest. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and, um, and it was, I think that Hadith Jibril just became a theme <laughs> throughout the three years that I was in college. It just kept coming back over and over again through Sheikh Yasser. And then, so then Sheikh Yasser was at, was at, was at ISBCC, which was the big masjid in, in, in Roxbury. And he did a whole intensive on Hadith Jibril and the study of the tradition. And in addition to sort of laying out these core sciences, the way that Islam has been studied for centuries, um, he introduced, he has this beautiful packet, I hope he one day publishes it, um, where, oh, you have it, yeah. The outlines everything? It's beautiful, yeah. 
um, that where he also sort of lays out the introductory text that people go through, the intermediate text and the advanced text. And I felt robbed, honestly, at that time. I was like, why didn't anyone ever explain this to me? Like, I feel like I've just been living on some YouTube version of Islam my whole life, of just like seeking out some inspirational stuff here and there, keeping up the ruhaniya, keeping up my, like, you know, feelings of spirituality. But there was, um, nobody taught us how to fish. Um, and like that there was this well-developed, really intelligent, um, really sophisticated like system and underpinning behind our whole deen uh, and the study of our deen. And um, I just scratched the surface of it at divinity school, right? Like, I felt like I took a three-year survey course, um, but but it's there. And I think um, I ended up beating my husband out of Adum al-Qur'an class that I took, actually, uh, at, at Boston, in Boston. And everybody should do it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's in addition to this, like, to, to the three core sciences, we, we all need to take a class in Adum al-Qur'an. We all need a class in Adum al-Hadith. And, and I... I I looked at all the confusion that I saw, especially in activist spaces, and the little trust, the, the, the very diminished trust that a lot of activists had in our scholarly tradition, mm -hmm. right? Because because of these ideas, because of these ideas around patriarchy in the tradition, because of these sort of like materialist critiques that were just extended to Islam, right? without the consideration that um, Islam does soul work, right? Uh, if we dismiss the work of a bunch of male scholars, do we ultimately undermine the whole project of soul work, of, of um, people critically examining themselves through the deen, right? Is all of that just fake and patriarchy is just this overarching, deen. like, yeah, deen and like, but, but it's like this reality that erases the possibility of any sincere thinking that can happen and sincere thought production uh, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I, I, think, I think that when you extend that kind of materialist critique, uh, and there's just suspicion around the tradition that's like not even founded in a, in a real notion of history like or... Um, a knowledge of like the way that our sciences were formed, um, which is really, which is really complicated. Which was really, I mean, honestly, even just alum and hadith, you had so many people who were just like, what do we do with like what the prophet said to us? The mushaf as the most basic example, you know, Abu Bakr who didn't know whether or not he should put it together. Like. There, people who had to make creative and brave choices in in putting putting the foundation for what is now our religion, right? And there was tension and there was disagreement, and um, people were human, but they they were trying to to maintain the integrity of this tradition. And I think that when I think about it like that, I can relate a lot more to the scholars that ultimately paved the way for this whole thing called Ulum al-Hadith, this whole thing called Ulum al-Qur'an. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. All right. That's all very good. Shameless plug. 
what's the date? In two weeks, I'm teaching on Monday night, online only, for three weeks. I think it will be three weeks long. Iman Islam Ihsan, which is Hadith Jibril, with a text from the Hanafi Madhab. Okay? It's free. You don't have to do anything. You just have to show up and use your mind for an hour and a half for three weeks, inshallah. Hopefully, we'll finish it in three weeks. Seth Fuad also did this, his last class before this one. He did the same thing for the Maliki school. So we're trying to cover the four methods. Inshallah, we'll get someone to do the other two as well. Um, there is a lot more to this whole thing than people realize. Uh, even when we talk about ulum and hadith, hadith sciences, most hadith sciences is very shafi in its approach. It doesn't even like scratch the surface of how the Hanafis and the Manikis dealt with hadith. Which is a whole different... I shouldn't say a whole different, but it's a, it's not necessarily exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, there's a lot there. So you go scratching the surface. Yeah. Um, kind of trying to, it sounds like, figure out how can I do this community organizing thing, mm-hmm. do something for the world, at the same time have some level of integrity yeah. and in terms of my commitment to what I believe in. Um, and this is the thing about like all of the sciences of Islamic studies, by the way. What are they really trying to do in the end? They're trying to teach us how we can have integrity with our sources. Like, okay, you say you believe in the Qur'an. You say you believe in the Prophet How do you engage with those sources with some level of integrity? Meaning, it's not just like, oh, I like this thing, I'll do this. I don't like this thing, I won't do that. I'm going to interpret this however I feel like. They didn't want to do that because if you're going to say, I believe in the Qur'an, I believe it's the word of God, it's coming from God, God's telling me how I should live my life, the Prophet is the messenger of God, he tells me what I'm supposed to do, I believe that. Okay, so if I believe that, then there's a level of submission in that. And if I'm going to have that submission then, I need to be able to engage with the sources in a way that's systematic, that in doing so, limits my personal uh, biases in a sense okay it's not that they go away but it tries to limit them um, uh, so we'll leave it yeah so you know that's I, I think it's yeah anyways we don't need to get into Islamic studies we're focusing on Zainab right now. <laughs> so yeah, this is Zainab's night um, so you're doing all these things you're going yeah. through this stuff I know that at the same time, <laughs> we won't necessarily open it, but at the same time, uh, let's see, so you finish school, you start to work in the community? Yeah. Did you go straight to the GBI? GBI, mm-hmm. okay. And where does this fit into the timeline of Sheikh Yasser Fahmi getting pushed out of the masjid by a board that didn't know what they were doing? <laughs> Just so we can be clear on the realities of American Islam. Okay, I, I should say salam alaikum to Sheikh Yasser. <laughs> this goes viral to his whole community in New Jersey now. Yeah, yeah, sure. it's gonna, you know, if yeah. He, he's too polite to say these things. Okay. I'll, I'll say them. All right. Because he's my friend. <laughs> and what they did was wrong. Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, like someone goes and they actually know what they're doing. Yeah. In itself is actually more rare than you think it is. And they've had life experiences that prepares them to do the work that they were doing. And then they spend, they put their whole life into that community for years. And then, like, 
just shading us. It's horrible. May Allah forgive us. And he used to say, you know, there's a hadith the Prophet said, Al fitna na'ima al'anullahu min aqadaha. Or la'anullahu min aqadaha. There's a different. Like fitna is sleeping, and may the curse of Allah be on the one who wakes it up. It's, very, it's a hadith. It's very scary. But like, this is, uh, you know, this was the reality there. So you're going through all of these things. Part of what's interesting, I think, about ISBCC too is that Yusufi was the director. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Until, you know, it was like a Jama'a thing, they all left. Yeah. Um, so, but Yusuf, he was a community organizer. Yeah, he was right? also with that. I remember when I first went to Boston and I met Yusuf, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, he's the director of the masjid, but he's a community organizer. What an interesting thing, right? So, mm -hmm. let's hear. Okay. Now that I cause problems, I have to spice it up a little bit. By all means. So. I, while I was at grad school, I was doing field work with the ISBCC. Sheikh Yasser had just come on. Uh, Ramzi and I took lots of classes with him. Um, like I said, I think he really helped ground me in a time when could have been like could have been very lost. Um, and um, I think uh, I was learning organizing with Marshall Gans, and I was also doing field work. So with the ISBCC, but also the ISBCC was a member organization in uh, the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization, which was 1LA's sister organization in Los Angeles. They're all part of a national organization called the Industrial Areas Foundation that has been doing this kind of organizing since the 1940s. Um, some of you may or may not have heard of the name Saul Alinsky. He uh, is sort of the founder of the IAF nationally, and he um, started doing the first uh, experimentations with this model of organizing in Chicago with a bunch of unions and a bunch of Catholic churches, really. Um, uh, and um, the GBIO, where I ended up working in Boston, had, alhamdulillah, they had a track record before I had got, gotten there, which made me all the more attracted to the work that they do. They actually were the ones who had helped organize, um, they had helped organize uh, Romney Care in Massachusetts, which became the model for Obamacare nationally, um, the Affordable Care Act nationally. Um, so had managed, alhamdulillah, do big campaigns, you know, that's like, 500,000 residents that were uninsured or underinsured were now covered because of the work that they did to organize people uh, across their member organization. So the way that the GBI, do you want me to talk about, well, where should I start? No, that's okay. Let's not go too organizery. Let's, um, yeah, what do you want me to focus on? Maybe this is a good way to transition into like... Mm -hmm maybe how this kind of organizing can be useful for our community. Oh, like within the community. What kinds of things you learn there. Yes, yeah. Not just internally, but yeah. for the Muslim community in general. For the Muslim community broadly. Uh, like how, how did you find your niche in terms of your religion and the space? And yeah, I think, so one of the things that I loved about working with the GBIO is when I was working with other people of faith. And um, the sort of like foundational tool of organizing is this thing called the relational meeting. So the secret sauce behind lots of campaigns, very successful campaigns that represent millions and billions of public dollars, um, 
that are won by organized people is really this tool, the relational meeting, the one-to-one -one relational meeting. Um, all organizers in the IEF will swear by it um, as very fundamental. And the first thing that I was assigned to do as a new organizer was I was assigned to do a bunch of one-to-one -one relational meetings inside the ISPCC, the masjid there in Roxbury. And um, I'll start, let's see where to start. I think the, the approach, I, I, it was very life-giving, um, first of all, to do a bunch of, I felt like the sister social director again, um, but with boundaries. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I, got, I had an excuse to call people up and say, hey, you're an important person in the community, can I talk to you about what motivates you and what you care about? and to sit down with them and to ask them about their life and to tell them a little bit about my life and um, to build a base that way. Like to build, a to build a base of people that were interconnected through their stories and by really knowing what makes, you know, Arbeida click, like why, what keeps Arbeida up at night is the question that I'm trying to answer if I'm doing a relational meeting with Arbeida. Um, and you, I had, I think I did like, 230 of those in the ISBCC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It was a lot. Um, and uh, I ended up working, I think the first campaign that I worked on was with a bunch of Somali aunties. Um, they, I was the only one who spoke English in that group. And I, it started with the um, principal of the Quran school, Sister Ferdosa. And um, she was a pharmacist and she worked at CVS's across the city and she was really angry that when she went to the CVS in the wealthy parts of wealthy neighborhoods of Boston uh, if to, if the line was longer than two people somebody would call and complain and then they would have to bring in another additional pharmacist but then when you were in Hyde Park or Roxbury or uh, Dorchester which are sort of the low-income neighborhoods with large, largely communities of color you would have lines at the pharmacy at the pharmacy going to the door and people would just take it and she said I'm sorry I'm 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 so tired of people who look like me just taking it and I'm tired of the Somali community that I work with on Sundays just taking it and um, yeah and uh, they had this so she was like, I, I want to work with you after our first relational meeting. She said, I'm going to introduce you to 10 more moms. So meet me at the park on Friday morning. I went to the park on Friday morning. She introduces me to 10 Somali moms. They're all speaking uh, Somali. I have no clue what's going on. Uh, Perdosa's translating the whole thing for me. Um, and they start talking about their kids getting in trouble in the criminal justice system. They start talking about the need for more after-school programming. They start talking about the horrible conditions in the public housing that they live in. Um, but we're also sitting in this park, and it's it's pretty beat up. It's the park right next to the masjid, and um, there's like an unfenced cliff that the kids are playing on. Like there's there's potholes inside of uh, the playground. There's only one unbroken swing, and on Ramadan nights, you have like 30 kids standing in line at the one unbroken swing in the park. And they were incensed about this. They're like, what? what is this? Like, we, you know, our kids deserve better than this. Mm. Um, and, and so I was like, okay, well, if we want to make some change around this or any number of the issues that you all just named, then we'll need more people. And so that group of 10 
the following week turned into a group of 25. And then that group of 25, the week, two weeks later, turned into a group of 60 women. And um, they talked about the issues that they were facing in their lives. Um, much the same, a lot of the same ones came up as uh, the ones that the initial group of 10 had talked about. But we decided and, and blessed the idea of uh, starting small, starting with a small winnable campaign. Um, and that was the park. Fold the handbook. Yes, I fold the handbook. Uh, and that was the park, um, because the park was what was going to teach us how to fight together. Um, and if you don't trust each other and you don't know how to fight together, then you're not going to win big stuff, much less. If, if we can't win this park, we can't win anything. Forget public housing, right? Um, so these 60 women broke up into, we did a, we did a research meeting. We broke up into groups of 10. A lot of them couldn't read or write, so we had so we drew pictures uh, of the kind of park that they wanted to see, mm. um, and uh, that they wanted their children to enjoy on Ramadan nights. And uh, from that, we derived a list of like 15 demands, um, and they chose a negotiating team from among them, and uh, they went and they tried to talk to the parks commissioner. So we went to their office with these four women dressed in abayas. Only one of them spoke English. And he looked them up and down with their abayas. And he said, you can go talk to my secretary, our administrator. Um, so we talked to the administrator. Um, and we knew that he was disrespecting us, but we talked to the administrator. Um, and, and she said, honestly, if you want there's a lot of beat up parks in Boston. If you want something done about this, you're gonna to have to make some noise. And these women took that as a challenge and they said, challenge accepted. Oh, you wanna do that? Yeah. Uh, and so they brought in, um, they went and they set up a meeting with the city councilor. And um, city councilor Kim Janey uh, was part of old uh, sort of like black royalty in, in Roxbury. There's like a group of families that have just been there for ages. And she was part of that group of families. And this park was called Jeep Jones Park. And Jeep Jones was the first black deputy mayor in Boston. Mm. Um, also part of Roxbury's black royalty. Um, happened to be the uncle of the chair of the GBIO, Beverly Williams. Um, and um, for Dosa, who is the lead, uh, the leader of this campaign, uh, propositioned her about becoming the champion of Jeep Jones Park, right? And we have this big action that's coming up. We want to bring out 120 people from the masjid, um, and will you? And, and there's going to be a whole, a thousand others from the multi-faith community. Will you come and will you publicly commit to being the champion of Jeep Jones Park in front of all these people and commit to fixing this place up and building us some new equipment for the older kids to play it, to play with? And she loved the idea. Um, and some weeks later, she dragged the parks commissioner by his ear to, in the middle of the winter, um, to come with our women and do a tour where the women pointed out everything that was wrong inside of the park, and you could just see the look on his face. Uh, uh, yeah, gotcha. Um, so, uh, but but yeah, um, Councillor Jan Councillor Janie 
made that commitment in front of about 1,400 people from the multi-faith community after Ferdosa and the assistant principal of the school next to that park basically did a photo presentation um, about Jeep Jones Park. We had Jeep Jones actually come and we honored him in front of, uh, it, we honored him and Kip Janey honored him in front of the crowd. And um, alhamdulillah, they, I think they got 67K um, that right now that they're just working with for the redesign of the park and they're, they're actively a part of the redesign process right now. So these things take time. Um, that was like, that was, it, the whole process started three years ago, but alhamdulillah, like, the, the, the changes are finally coming through. And uh, that was just our tryout campaign. And what was cool about it was like, when we were doing, doing turnout for this big 1400 person action, it was like the folks in the room who were in relationship with each other hadn't really spoken before. So like you had sort of like young professionals group from the masjid talking to these aunties uh, from the Somali community, talking to, uh, some of the other um, sort of elders and folks who were regular masjid goers for the five daily prayers and all of them had to commit to bringing out folks and they were building relationships with each other and hearing each other's stories actually in, in ways that they had never sat down to do before. Um, and that was just within one masjid. Uh, and as we grew and as we brought on more members, it was like, you know, we had the ICCC, but then we also had the two African-American masjid um, that were historically in Roxbury and Dorchester come on and join G as GBIO members and uh, Mass came on and there were relationships built between all of those organizations um, and, and that has continued alhamdulillah um, but again there were relationships and conversations that hadn't been happening before uh, and that brought people together across historical divides which was really really powerful to see alhamdulillah mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Great. All right. Hmm. So, huh? Kind of get a tick beer in here. <laughs> um, so when we when we named this organization the Medjus, we had no idea that the word gets used for all kinds of different things. We didn't even realize some of the connotations of the word. Uh, the entire philosophy behind the naming of the organization was, if we're gonna do anything as a community, we have to come and sit together. That was the entire philosophy behind the name. Like, people have to come, they have to sit together, they have to get to know each other, they have to talk to each other. If you have a little bit of food, a little bit of drinks, it helps people do that. And that was the main thing. We hold classes was basically like you hold classes to make sure everyone's on the same page and brings people out and then they can talk to each other. Like really they have to talk to each other. And um, you know this is one of the things that like if you're if, if a community, I don't mean this as a, just as a disclaimer, this is not a comment on anyone or anything or any place. But like one of the things that an imam will do if they're in a community is that even if they're not doing what Zainab mentioned intentionally, they're doing what she mentioned in the person in the relational meetings, because the imam is going to meet all kinds of people in the community. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, ideally, ideally, it's ideally there's even a philosophy to it. There's an approach to it. There's it's being done intentionally that I'm going to meet as many people as I can in this community, and then you know people might look at it and be like, well, what is this imam doing? He's just sitting with people all day long. 
We want some production. We want some data. Where's our data to judge whether or not they're doing their job? And where are the classes? And where's the enrollment? And how much money is coming in from this? And all that? It's complete stupidity, actually. I mean, I understand the, 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 the intent sometimes, but it's wrong. Because the, they're going to sit with all these people. You're going to have all of these relationships. What's actually holding the community together? It's all those relationships. Right? So you then you you take those you, and it takes a lot of work. Like look what Zainab said. How long is it going to take to do 250 meetings? It'll take a long time. Like each one of those meetings is going to be probably an hour, at least. Every time you do it, you're going to have to go there. You're going to have to set it up. You're going to have to arrange it. You're going to have to take notes. You're going to there's a lot of stuff that goes into meeting that many people, and it really feeds the community, right? The other thing that I think is interesting about community organizing and why I wanted also Zainab to be with us is because there's a lot of good things that we can do. Okay? There's a lot of good things that we can do. What, we're trying, what we try to do in the Medjlis is we're trying to provide an intellectual and spiritual foundation for those good things. It's not necessarily that I'm going to do it myself or that Muslim going to do it herself. Maybe we might not be the one to lead that or to do that or whatever it might be. But the goal is, if we, if we look at Islam, Iman, Ihsan, it gives us the paradigms that we need in order to approach these things. How do I look at the world? Okay, I got that in order. These are the rules that I need to follow. Usually they're not that many. And then what is the spiritual um, nourishment that I need in order to really do this work? Because you're going to come up against stuff. It's not going to be just like, oh, I want to do something good and all of a sudden my heart is pure. No. You're going to have like times when you're angry, times when you're jealous, times when you're upset with, you know, you're, you're, you're hating on other people. You're going to have times when your patience is running out and all of that is going to be fed by a person's spiritual training and their spiritual upbringing, right? So all of that that we mentioned, this, all of the, her life story that's leading up to this point is, is speaking to that reality. Like the time in the masjid, the time with the family, the time in the community, the experiences in MSA, the education at, at, at Harvard, the people that you work with, the, the teachers that you might have that help you, so on and so forth. All of that is feeding the person to be able to do this thing. And look at what we're saying. What is it in the end? One lady in the pharmacy was upset and she got 10 aunties and 10 aunties turned into 1,500 people and the park is on its way to getting fixed. That matters. Right? Like that... That matters a whole lot more than most of the debates that we have at our dinner parties. You know, about like, can I trust the hadith or not? Like, have you read anything on hadith? Just leave it alone. Go do something else. There's a lot of homeless people you can help. There's a lot of parks you can fix. There's a lot of people you can organize. There's a lot of things you can do. Not everyone has to do that. We don't have to rehash that over and over again. So, uh, you know, this is all very interesting. Maybe if we can... Um, Maybe you can say a little bit about the work that you're doing now and maybe like any reflections or advice that you have for the community in general. And then if we have some time, maybe we can take a few questions and then we can close in China. So the work that I'm doing now, so I I came back home and uh, looked for, and, and uh, got approached by CARE to do some work as a uh, as a manager of community organizing, to introduce community organizing to, uh, our com- to the Muslim community. 
um, as an approach, this sort of Saul Alinsky community organizing model. Um, and, and so we are in the, I took a bunch of people who were formerly sort of like outreach people um, who have gone out and sort of done outreach work in the community to publicize different programs that we have and services. Uh, and we're retraining them. And we have a partnership with uh, 1LA, uh, which is the Industrial Areas Foundation, the local affiliate, like I mentioned. And um, they're doing a bunch of relational meetings. Um, so we have four sort of focus regions. There's Orange County, Inland Empire, Los Angeles, and the San Fernando Valley. And within each of those, we have sort of five to seven target institutions um, that we're trying to bring on board to pilot um, this organizing network. Uh, I think that it's going to be called the Muslim, uh, Muslims, we're, we're debating the name. Um, I hope that we end up with Musa, which is Muslims United for Solidarity and Action, the Musa Network. Um, but the Musa Network, uh, I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, but the Musa Network. Musa is a recurring theme for you. I know. Okay, so can I, I say something real quick? Please, yeah. We're going to stop on Musa for a second. Uh, next week, Street Toa bis Brisket is going to be here. So we want to get an idea of how many meals we should tell them to prepare for the Medjlis people. Okay, so I'm going to pass this around. If you want some, then put your name on it, inshallah, so that we can prepare for that. All right? Musa. 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 So the Musa Network, uh, named after our social justice exemplar in the Quran, alhamdulillah, um, and we're trying to um, yeah, identify some target institutions uh, who may want to participate in this and basically do a bunch of relational meetings to have people do them with each other inside of these institutions, to have our organizers do them with um, the folks inside of the institution, and to try and build out um, a base, uh, and then eventually to do some listening campaigns that will lead us to an issue platform, so a set of shared concerns that we can unite around. Um, and we're trying to do that with the full diversity of our community, really being intentional about you know where the underserved Muslims and making sure they're included in that conversation as well. Uh, and, and yeah, part of the base that we're trying to build out. Um, and then to hopefully do a lot of training in this first year um, so that people sort of understand what the project is about. Um, and, and then to do some kind of a launch um, in uh, the months leading up to midterm elections in 2022. So that's the hope. I don't know that, I mean, in this first year, it's really just about buy-in and people kind of understanding the project and trying something new because the way that we do politics in our community, um, mm. I don't know that we actually think about like, let me relate to, oh, politics is like, associated with relating to people around their life stories, relating to people around what motivates them, doing that slowly with a lot of people. <laughs> but that is what makes for a long-standing and effective base. And, you know, the Parks campaign was my tryout campaign, but alhamdulillah, like, by the time I had left, we had managed, um, I, had, I, I had helped to organize a campaign after, um, the police murder of George Floyd, and we helped to create the first civilian oversight board in the state of Massachusetts to oversee police standards and certification and uh, police use of force. Um, and we went from being very, very behind 
as a state of Massachusetts with respect to police accountability to being probably one of the leaders in the nation um, through this organizing work. And again, the secret sauce was these a very strong foundation of relational meetings inside of our member institutions uh, and across our member institutions. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that I would really love for Muslims to be a part of this work, one, because we don't win enough as a Muslim community. Mm. I just like, I feel like my whole- wins. We need some wins, y'all. Um, I, I feel like we, we grew up being told like, oh, okay, victory's in the Ethera. It is, you know? <laughs> like we can actually win, guys. Like there, yeah, there are things that we can win politically. Um, and, and secondly, because it's also good for us internally. Um, it's good for us to know who, to know each other. Um, and I think that when we know each other, our conception of like what's a Muslim issue also changes a lot, especially if we're connecting across our diversity. Um, and it's, it becomes a lot less ideological. Our politics become less ideological. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's less about like... It's more practical about the people. Yeah, exactly. If I remember the first campaign I worked on was with um, was Prop 47, actually, when I was doing, that year that I was doing my fellowship at CARE. And... We did those debates, right? Yeah, we did those debates about, um, about mass incarceration. But what, what was more impactful for me was like meeting people in the South LA Muslim community. A 30, 30 minute drive on the freeway. Never been there in my life. Never, subhanAllah. And that was the first time I'm, and, and that was when mass incarceration was not this like, it wasn't just this ideological commitment, right? That was based out of my ethnic studies background. It was like, no, these are brothers and sisters who had years of their lives wasted in a prison because of this unjust system. Like, those are my brothers and sisters. Um, and, that's when it becomes personal and a conviction and something you can't, it's, it's not a theory anymore. Mm -hmm. That's a good segue. Yeah. The next one's probably gonna be with Tabari, in case anyone knows him, you should, but uh, it was gonna be in December, but maybe it'll be in January, inshallah. Speaking of mass incarceration and issues around that, uh, good, good, good. Any advice for the people here, or did you just do it in Project Muslim? Um, advice? is um, do relational meetings. Oh, okay. <laughs> do relational meetings. And not, it's not just about base building. It's not just about political issues. Uh, it's, it will put baraka in your life. And uh, it, it is what built, it's the foundation of what, it, it's us reliving uh, the, the prophetic gathering, right? We hear these stories of the Prophet we hear these stories of the Sahaba. Um, and so many of them have been narrated to us because the Prophet ﷺ was sitting in a circle with them and he said, Bidah, tell us your story. Tell us about the early days of Medina, or about the early days of Mecca, right? We wouldn't have those stories if people didn't sit around and share their stories. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't invite them to do so. So that's the, that's the tradition that we're really, we're really, we're, we are reliving by doing this kind of relational work. Um, I know I personally was raised, uh, you know, there was this ethos of like the Islamic worker, which is like somebody who doesn't have a personality and who doesn't have a background and who doesn't have a story, who's just like doing work. And um, 
<laughs> that's not it's very Marxist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but but it doesn't have to be like that. Um, and um, even Musa in the Quran, right? The beginning of his journey of organizing the people, uh, the children of Israel, is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala recounting to him his own story, mm. right? Mm. Look at everything you've been through. It's good. It's good for you too. You having to reflect on your own life journey and what shapes your commitments. It's important. Um, it's important for us to to figure out what brings us to where we are and why why we're committed to what we're committed to. And the more that we do it with each other, the stronger community will be internally, but also externally when we need to fight together to, to get real things done. Awesome. That awesome. Thank you. All right. There's a quote from Imam Haddad about this. Uh, I was just pulling up. Brotherhood and sisterhood for Allah's sake is like a tree. It is irrigated with the water of mutual visiting, and the fruit it bears is working together for the sake of goodness and taqwa. Mm -hmm. If it is not watered, it will wither, and it and if it does not bear any fruit, it will be cut down. It's very powerful. I'm going to read it again. Brotherhood and sisterhood for Allah's sake is like a tree. It is irrigated with the water of mutual visiting, and the fruit it bears is working together for the sake of goodness and taqwa. If it is not watered, it will wither, and if it does not bear any fruit, it will be cut down. So what is all of it going back to? Is visiting each other. It's visiting each other. So thank you, Zainab, for taking the time, you know, from your family, from the little one, to be with us. We really appreciate it to, to be. Uh, it's, it's, there's a level of vulnerability in just coming and telling your story. There's an added level of vulnerability when the person who asks you to come gives you no insight <laughs> as to what to expect from <laughs> from the session. So we appreciate it and uh, appreciate you sharing all of your insights and everything. Are there any questions and stuff people would like to share? Yes. I'm going to leave it to you to manage this part. So you mentioned the story about how, how like, these kind of women I think a large fear in a lot of gatherings is preserving the intimacy and also the goal. Yeah. When you go to that scale, yeah. like in capitalism, there's something called Dunbar's number. Uh huh. If you go over 150, mm -hmm. like employees, you lose the intimacy of the company. Yeah. So, how is that something that yeah. you don't need to mentor necessarily, but you work with as you grow the scale? Yeah. So those 1,500, like I said, they didn't come out of like some viral Facebook event. Um, they came from all of, from, uh, uh, so we have 49 member, we had 49 member institutions at the time we did that assembly. And each institution basically committed to a certain, to bringing out a certain number of people. Um, there is a very organized infrastructure where we had basically two leaders who were community captains from each institution that were part of like monthly meetings. Um, where and those two people were kind of responsible for the nitty gritty of like mobilizing uh, within within their institution. Um, and then there's sort of like a strategy level team leadership um, that's responsible for political research, the larger strategic vision of the organization, blah blah blah. And that, that also is diverse and comes from across our member institutions and our people who are connected to institutions, which is an important part of this. Yeah. Um, so uh, the 1,500 people weren't random, basically. They were, um, they were part of an organized base of people and institutions that uh, committed to a certain, committed to turnout. Um, and 
they were brought in by people who helped set expectations, um, where people knew this wasn't going to be like a free-for-all on stage. This is, yeah, this is the agenda that we've built, and, and people have been a part of it in some way, shape, or form. Um, it, and that campaign wasn't the only campaign that was happening on stage. So there were several others based on the ongoing work of these 49 member institutions doing lots of listening inside of the community, um, researching, uh, and then ultimately coming up with issue campaigns and then bringing targets uh, or decision makers who are responsible for those issues to come and um, answer to us around our agenda, right? So they didn't come out of nowhere. Um, like I said, it wasn't a Facebook event that went viral. Uh, everybody had to count how many people came from their church or synagogue or masjid or union. Um, and to orient them and uh, to, yeah, uh, they all sat actually in their own, everybody sat with a sign next to their organization. It's like that's sort of the, that's what it means to, to have an organized constituency as opposed to like uh, a public action or, you know, this isn't uh, Occupy Wall Street, where it was like, everybody come out. No, it was, um, this had been premeditated for months. Yeah. Organized people and organized money. Yes. <laughs> yes. Two powers in the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a question. Uh, would CARE be able to help a uh, candidate run for office? Like, for example, I don't want to spend, I want to run for city council. I, uh -huh. I don't want to spend $1,500. Like, I waste money on coming up. Um, so that's more that falls a little bit more in line with the C4 work that CARE does. Uh, I would have a conversation with Hassam Elish about it, send him, pop him an email, let him know that you're interested in running for office. Um, I could take your contact information afterwards. But um, yeah, I think that's a little more in line with the C4 we work, which is C4 work that we do, which is more electoral politics. Um, I'm more excited about the issue-based organizing, which is uh, not about sort of partisan electoral. Uh, organizing around candidates. It's about issues uh, and holding whoever is in power uh, or wants to be in power responsible for uh, a set of issues that we care about collectively as a community. Excellent. Women folk? Anyone? Yeah. What's involved in the personal meetings? What does a relational meeting yeah. look like? Um, so relational meeting. Um, usually uh, what I do when I introduce a, somebody to a, so if I was to reach out, what's your name, sister? Amy. Okay, so I would call you up Amy. And um, first I would ask Jake Jamal, so this Amy person, I should talk to her, right? Okay. You should actually. Absolutely. All right. So, <laughs> so I would call up Amy and I would say, um, Sheikh Jamal told me that if I really want to understand the mentalist community, I need to sit down and talk with you. Um, would you mind having coffee with me? We go to Starbucks, we sit down, um, and I might start by sharing with you one story uh, about that sheds light on why I care about organizing, right? Um, and I would, I, I'd figure out a little bit more. What do you do in your day job? 
it's complicated. It's complicated? <laughs> I, would, I would ask you a bunch of questions about why you do what you do, why you care about what you care about, um, and would try to figure out um, what you're concerned about, what you see as your concerns for the community, what's your vision for your family, for, uh, for Medjilis. Um, and uh, I would probably ask you, you know, do you have other people who, are, who have similar concerns? Um, and um, could you introduce, can you introduce me to them? And we would sort of like grow organically. I would grow my list of people inside of Medjilis that way and we would, we would find more people to talk to to, build, to do relational meetings with that way. But uh, it's mostly just a lot of exchange of stories um, and asking you a lot of why questions. Um, so you made the choice to go to grad school. You made the choice to you do this as your side gig. Why? Why, 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 why? Um, and uh, by doing that, the hope is to get at um, what we understand is your self-interest, right? But self-interest not in this weird capitalist way, but like, what's the legacy that you want to leave, right? What's the kind of meaning you're trying to inhabit in the world? That kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and through that, uh, we start to build some trust in our, we start to build some trust in our rapport. Uh, and we do a lot of those inside of Medjilis in order to build a, a larger base. And would you set up those kind of meetings amongst people that you, you've met with personally? So mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. With each other. With okay. each other. Yeah. And you're you're asking why relationally, not interrogationally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But sometimes a little yes. And especially if I don't know so they say that agitation without a relationship is just irritation. So uh, I can't be uh, yeah, like a, uh, it's a back and forth. It's a two-way conversation uh, to to start to establish some rapport. Um, yeah. Very good. I think uh, someone else had their hand up. You talked about how uh, we can win some things. Yes. And uh, we somehow have this idea that victory is in the Yes. Where would you see the root of that attitude comes from? I think a lot of the fights. Um, honestly, I think we're. I think we won um, punch above our weight a lot in the Muslim community when it comes to our politics, right? The issues that we care about are what, okay, so like traditionally Muslim issues, right? What, somebody yell out some quote unquote Muslim issues. Palestine. Palestine. Y'all, okay, that's a big one. That's really, really hard. You're talking about like, we, we've chosen the hardest political issues to solve as a starting place, right? Um, that require that would literally require not just a local. We require it would require all of our communities across the country to be organized with allies, electorally and on issue politics, in order to like make a little bit of change, right, in our foreign policy around Palestine. Um, so many of the issues, even even FBI surveillance, right. So many of the issues that we're focused on. Um, are resolved on a federal level. Um, but there's this whole host of issues that, that um, we could be resolving on, a, on the local and statewide scale, right? That actually like are, we, we could 
we, that's like something we could bite off and chew, you know? Um, we, could, we could win some stuff around healthcare. We could win some local immigration fights, right? Uh, maybe around municipal IDs, whatever it is, right? Um, I think that we have been trying to punch above our weight for a long time because the kinds of issues uh, that we've traditionally understood as Muslim issues um, have been really, really hard to resolve through just one local base. And we're not even organized on the local level, right? Um, and we're trying to, to resolve national issues. And mm -hmm. like, we do baby steps, y'all. Like, can we just like organize us? Like, can we get a city ordinance passed first before we go and, you know, before we go and liberate Palestine? So I think, I think it's, it's about trying to deliberate about building power one step at a time. All politics is place-based at the end, right? At least in the, in the United States, all politics is place-based. Everybody who's elected has a constituency that elects them that's based in a pl specific place. Um, and the more place-based local organizing we do across the country, we could get it right here as a model, right? Um, and other people replicate it we have a much better chance of trying to resolve some of those national things. But we gotta start with what's winnable first, uh, and we have to get organized and disciplined as a base first. Um, yeah. Hmm. some reflections. That's really good. I think it's actually tied into some of the stuff you said before. Like everything has furur and usul. Okay, I'll translate. Everything has furur and usul. Furur are like branches. Usul are foundations. Okay? So, and then there's minor things and there's major things. So, kind of what I'm understanding from Zainab is that we don't have furua and we don't have usul and we're trying to deal with a major issue. Really. And this actually, this problem plays itself out in many different ways in our community, actually. Um, for example, when she was saying earlier, when Imam Bilal sat her down, he was like, so, like, what's the deal with Islamic studies? And she was like, well, I've done some sirah. There's <laughs> <laughs> like a father. It's, it's a branch out there. It's not on anything. Like in the, in the, in the Islamic studies world, they always say, the asl is ma yubna alayhi ghayru. The asl is that, the, the foundation is what? Something else is built on top of it. So if you take like a subsidiary thing and it doesn't even have a foundation, there's nothing to be done. There's not. And I think this happens in a lot of things in our community. Actually. You know, we want this and we want this and we want this and we want this and we want this. Uh, we do it intellectually. We do it spiritually. We do it practically. Someone will say, for example, I really want to memorize the Quran. They're like, okay, you should learn how to read Arabic. And they do like three weeks of learning how to read Arabic. They're like, I don't want to, you know, it's too slow for me. I'm going to start memorizing. So they start memorizing, and then two months later, they're like, I'll never memorize the Quran, inshallah, in the Akhirah, I'll learn the whole Quran. <laughs> like, I'll know the whole Quran in the Akhirah. We'll get the victory in the Akhirah. We can't get the victory here. Was it that they can't get the victory here, or was it because the process wasn't done properly? And this, this and, and people, like, one of the things that you'll hear, I, I harp on this all the time. Ustad Fuad will harp on this all the time. Sheikh will harp on this all the time. The methodology matters. 
is not a secondary issue. It's not just like, oh, why do they talk about methodology all the time? Can't we just like move on with it? Yeah, you, like when we would go in, in, in Azhar, it's, it's a famous thing everyone will always say. When you go to teach, take a class in Azhar, they spend like forever on the introduction. And once you get past the introduction, everything moves fast. Why? Because if you get the introduction right, everything moves fast. Or you could just cover everything and you have nothing in the end because the foundation wasn't there. So when we look at like community organizing, bringing the people together, the relational meeting, these things are foundations. If they're not there, forget everything else. You know, same thing when it comes to, you know, I was reading today the statement of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu He said, you have to get deep understanding and knowledge before you're put in a position of leadership. The same thing in our community. Everyone wants to serve the community. Okay, what kind of community is it? It's a Muslim community. Okay, if you want to serve a Muslim community, what do you think you should have a good foundation in? Islam. Islam. <laughs> you should probably have some sort of foundation in Islam. We have people get really excited, they really want to help something, and they start doing a bunch of stuff, and they have no idea what they're doing. Like, really, they have no idea what they're doing sometimes. And, you know, Allah reward them, inshallah, what they do is still khair, inshallah, they still get reward for it, and so on and so forth. But sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes it's like they actually really mess things up. Because now it's like a train that's moving in this direction, and they didn't take any time to figure out which direction the train should move in. They're just going to take the train. Uh, so the community organizing, I feel like it gives certain foundations that enable people to do other things. Versus, I will, why can't we have any influence on this? We can't, like, it's like an MSA. People used to, we used to have Islam Awareness Week in the first quarter. When I was in MSA, we used to have Islam Awareness Week in the first quarter. People always be like, nobody, no, no one comes to Islam Awareness Week. If you do Islam Awareness Week, it's all Muslims. I'm like, yeah, it's fine with me because the new people in MSA are learning how to organize in Islam Awareness Week. For me, it wasn't even about telling people about Islam. It was about, you need a project, the new people can learn how to organize some things, and they, they get some experience, and then they can do some... You have to have... There, there has to be something there. Anyways, it wasn't even to me. I just you know, felt inspired by, yeah. by Zainab. Mashallah. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else since you already asked one of you? Okay, last question. So, I'm reading a book right now called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And she talks a lot about designing your gatherings and also the purpose behind the gatherings. Often I find in Muslim communities that there is like a community around some sort of purpose kind of, but that purpose is often multifaceted. Mm -hmm. Trying to tackle so many different things. Mm -hmm. And often people don't find don't feel like they're moving anywhere at all. So what advice would you give to sort of recalibrating on a purpose or helping people who don't know necessarily what the purpose is to find a set purpose? A set purpose for, I mean. Oh, um, like trying to solve an issue in the community, or trying to solve an issue, maybe not in the community, but like something related to them. Like for MSA, for example. Okay. A lot of issues come to MSAs, homelessness, food uh, security. Yeah. The MSA tries to tackle all of these things at once. Yeah. But there's no underlying. Yes. Yeah. I think um, 
purposes. I think it's natural that people are going to come to the space with different purposes, and that's actually kind of the beauty of, of organizing and learning what people's self-interest people. So, like, if I know Sheikh Jamal's self-interest, right? Um, I know that if I know that Sheikh Jamal is interested in increasing the internal cohesion of Majlis, right? And that relational meetings are a tool for doing that and organizing is a tool for doing that. And that's what his motivation is for, say, joining the Musa Network, right? Uh, and I know, for example, that the Imam at Santa Ana Masjid actually cares very deeply about, um, uh, I don't know, healthcare coverage, right? He's seeing an issue with healthcare coverage for folks inside of his community. Da, 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 da. It's okay that they come to the table with a different, with different, uh, or just there's a lot of poverty in the community and he wants to resolve the issues related to poverty in that community, right? Um, it's okay for people to come together around their own self-interest. It just, when we get at the table together, we need to figure out the thing um, that will move us forward and that will meet that will meet the needs of a multifaceted group, right? Um, and the beauty of issue organizing is that every issue campaign that you take on makes you stronger for the next. So. Um, you might really care about homelessness and um, Khwaja really, really cares about uh, mass incarceration, right? Um, maybe we do, maybe we work on Khwaja's issues this time, but that issue campaign helps us get stronger together, become more disciplined, become more organized, and so that the next campaign that we tackle, which might be homelessness, right? Um, we're even more effective, even more disciplined, even more organized, and we've learned to fight together a little bit better. Um, and so the primary purpose behind organizing, right, is trying to build organized people who, who are able to act around, uh, who are able to act around their issues. And those issues can change, um, but the process itself uh, regardless of what issue we're working on helps us get stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and that's the, yeah, that, that's, that's somewhat how, that's like a, a sneak preview of how we kind of negotiate different interests inside of, inside of a community when we're doing organizing. Yeah. There you go. Alhamdulillah. Um, Okay, I think it's good. Alhamdulillah. Okay. We, we, we covered yeah. so much. We talked a lot. Um, very grateful for you coming. Okay. Very grateful to be here. I feel like uh, how do I say this? Like, there's layers. Even when we look at Hadith Jibril, there's Iman, there's Islam, and there's Ihsan. They help to develop the individual. But in the end, the individual, if they're going to do something, they have to be in a community. Mm. We, we, they're, they're, we're extremely limited in what we can do by ourselves yeah. and there's a lot that we can do when we're together yeah. so 
when we talk about Iman, Islam, Ihsan, we're talking about refining and improving the individual, giving them their capacity to act, in a sense, in a way that is pleasing to Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu Interestingly, even in Hadith Jibril, after the three questions, comes the question on time. And so, you know, there is a question of, if you're going to develop yourself, what are you going to do about it? And being able to do that with one another and to be able to choose issues and grow. And as long as the people are staying together and they're working together, then they'll become stronger and stronger and stronger. So we're very grateful to you, Zainab, for coming out and, um, and all of you for staying. I know it's been kind of a long session, but um, I think it's important. I think it's important for us to hear from one another, to learn from one another, and to benefit from each other's experiences. So, Sheikh, do you have anything you'd like to say before we close? So we'll close inshallah and people can get whatever drinks and things are still here. Uh, just as a side note, one of the one of the things that's important and we always pushed in the Majlis was that it was easier when we had our space. There was a there was a, a very set system around hospitality. And people knew if they come they're gonna help and so on and so forth. Uh, if you are able to come early like anyone who wants to help it's always needed set up and clean up is always needed there's always there's always a need for people who will sit at the table and serve people drinks and take care of them and so on and so forth usually it ends up like two or three people are setting up this whole thing which alhamdulillah is great they get a lot of reward for that but at the same time you do it every week uh, it becomes a test for you so uh, if people can come early you're welcome to come early and usually they're here by like four. When we start at five, they're usually here by four. And setting up and things, you're always welcome. And then afterwards, for cleanup, uh, usually anyone who's here helps anyway, so it's okay. So, barakallahu uh, We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless our sister Zainab and, and our brother Ramzi and Yahya and their families and their friends and their loved ones and everyone who knows them. Everyone who comes in contact with them, everyone who's taught them, everyone who's supported them and mentored them, everyone who's aided them in every way, we ask you Allah to give them blessing in everything that they do and give them taysir and tawfiq in everything that they do. Allah, we ask you to make us people of remembrance, people of reflection, people of action. We ask you Allah to make us people who have hearts that are strong uh, and that are wide and can handle issues and deal with things and deal with people. We ask you, Allah, to make us people of substance and purpose. We ask you, Allah, to help us to uh, fix and understand the essence such that the form can follow the essence. We ask you, Allah, to help us in everything that we do to protect our family and our children and our loved ones, to give us knowledge that we can act upon and that benefits us and the ability to act upon it. We ask you, Allah, to bless our community and our communities and the people that make them up. We ask you, Allah, that whatever we do, with all the mistakes that we make, that we do not sever our bond with you, and that you always turn towards us, Ya Rabb, and you guide us and you take us, uh, and you help us in whatever it is that we are going through. We ask you, Allah, to overlook our sins and our shortcomings and our mistakes, and to uh, aid us in everything that we seek, and to give us good intentions for your sake, and action that is pleasing to you, and pleasing to your Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
After a few minutes, we'll pray Asha. We'll give some time for people to make wudu and stuff if they need to, and then we'll pray inshallah. Thank you, Zainab. Thank you. You should get you like a fruit basket or something. <laughs>